As we approach God's Word, please take up your Bibles. Um, If you do not have your Bibles, there is a, a Bible there in front of you in the pew. And turn to Genesis chapter 45. We'll begin in the middle of Genesis 45 in verse 16. And uh, we'll read through chapter 46, verse 27. Some of you may be asking, why do we kind of begin in the middle of a, of a passage, in the middle of a chapter? Um, we're reminded that chapter and verse markations are something relatively new in the history of the church. They're only 500 years old. I know 500 years old does not sound like relatively new. Um, but in the Old Testament, we're dealing with a document that's probably thousands of years old. And... You know what? We're fallible, broken human beings, and we don't always put verse and chapter markations where they should have been. But, you know, since they help us, since they're good, it's easier not to change them and leave them where they are. And the accounts are grouped, um, hopefully, in the ways in which I'm presenting to them to you. So um, we will begin in Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 16. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land and and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced my son Joseph is still alive and I will go and see him before I die. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants, who went to Egypt. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, 
Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan had died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These were the sons Leah bore to Jacob in Paddan Aram, besides his daughter Dinah. The sons and daughters of this, of, of his were thirty-three in all. The sons of Gad, Zephon, and Hagi, Shuni, and Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imnah, and Ishva, Ishvi, and Bariah. Their sister was Sarah. The sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These were the children born to Jacob by Zilpah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Leah, sixteen in all. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. In Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. The sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, fourteen in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shelem. These were the sons born to Jacob by Bilhah, whom Laban had given to his daughter, Rachel, seven in all. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those were his, who were his direct descendants, not counting the sons, wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had born, been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these names. We're reminded as we struggle through the names that um, you work through people. You promised to grow Abraham's family. And before it left the land of Canaan, it was a total of 70. And later on, it would become a great nation. And so, Lord, remind us that you work through people. Help us to hear you today. Help us to see you. Help us to know that you speak to us in your word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you change us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we do wrap up today's passage with a long list of names. A long list of names. I'm sure many people are thankful that when we name our children after biblical names, we don't use some of them. But we're also reminded that God works through families. God works through peoples. God sets himself apart in this list of names. There's 70 people in all, including Jacob, uh, 69 sons and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters, uh, plus Jacob, uh, were the people that God will work through as they go to Egypt. And we'll talk about them leaving the promised land and getting to Egypt here in a few minutes. But I just want us to remember that that those names are there to remind us that God is a God who keeps his promise. Well, what is our reasonable service to this God who does keep his promises to this God who does work through people and through families? 
What are we to do? Those of us who are called to be children of God, what are we to do as our reasonable service to the God who has called us and who has set us apart? Today, I want us to see three aspects of what we are to do as God's people. We're going to see that God calls us to hospitality. We'll see that God calls us to be a people of peace. And we'll see that God calls us to worship. The first thing I want us to see in today's passage is that God calls us to hospitality. So Pharaoh and his officials hear Joseph, that Joseph's brothers are there. More literally, they hear Joseph's wailing. In the last account, when Joseph uh, realized that his brothers had changed, they had matured, that they were willing, especially Judah, to, to set himself in place of Benjamin, to take the punishment for Benjamin. Joseph breaks out in a wail in a cry, in weeping and gnashing of teeth, if you will. And literally, that is what Pharaoh and his officials heard. They heard Joseph's cry of joy. They heard his cry of reconciliation with his family. And when Pharaoh figures out what's going on and he, and he hears that Joseph's brothers are there, he, he offers them many things. The first thing he does is he comes to Joseph and says, Hey, I will give them a place to live. They will be able to be protected from this famine. Send them home with with donkeys and carts and provisions and tell them to come back here and to move into Egypt. It's interesting that Pharaoh addresses Joseph and not his brothers. And there's a twofold reason for that. Number one, Joseph's brothers speak Hebrew. Pharaoh speaks Egyptian and there has to be an interpreter between the two. And Pharaoh now knows that that Joseph speaks the language that his brothers speak. And so he uses Joseph as an interpreter. But the other reason is far more significant. You and I can't just walk into the White House and knock on the Oval Office door and walk in and present our concerns or address the president of the United States. There must be somebody between us to mediate that meeting. And it's the same thing here. Joseph's brothers as foreigners, as foreigners who are in the detestable practice of farming, they have no access to the king except with a mediator. And we're reminded that we as well cannot approach the king of this universe without a mediator, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has done the work to reconcile us to God. But Pharaoh offers the fat of the land. He offers the best land for the people of Jacob's family to settle in, to raise their, their livestock. And he does that because he owes Joseph a debt. Joseph, the prisoner who was elevated to the second in command in Egypt, saved the life and the kingdom of Pharaoh. And he realizes that he can repay his debt to Joseph for what Joseph has done for him by being hospitable to Joseph's family, by taking this needy family out of a land of famine and providing them food. And what Pharaoh does in this is he offers hospitality. He realizes that his reasonable service to Joseph is the service of hospitality. And we are called to the same thing. Now, we have to, to correct a couple misconceptions here. When I hear the word hospitality, I think of those stacks of Southern Living magazine that used to sit on the, the table in between mom and dad's recliners. And I say used to sit on the table. They still do. 
the pictures of the perfect spread, the, the turkey on Thanksgiving Day that is just that perfect shade of roasted brown with the perfectly crispy skin and, and all of the side dishes are there in their glorious array and, and all of the dishes are set up just right on the right placemats and the, the home is light and airy and just welcoming and inviting and everybody's dressed up in their Sunday best for a Thanksgiving dinner. That's not hospitality. That's impossible, by the way. A lot of people were paid a lot of money to make plastic food to set up on that table. But the reality is, and, and, and when hospitality is used in the New Testament, the word that is used for hospitality literally means love for the stranger. Think about what Jesus did. He took on flesh and he dwelt among us. Why did he do that? It's because we were strangers and God loves strangers. We were estranged from God because of our sin. We were estranged from God because of our rebellion. But God had a table. God had a feast. And he made a place at that table for us through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we could do the so that we could be reconciled to God. And God calls us as part of our reasonable service to him. To make room in our hearts, just like as at a meal, we make room at the table. Sometimes hospitality does involve food. Sometimes it does involve us saying, you know what, we've got a table, we've got room. It's Thanksgiving, we're going to have plenty of food anyway, more than we know what to do with. Let's have somebody join us that may not have somewhere else to go. But sometimes hospitality is just sitting down and being part of the life of somebody that we would not typically sit down and be the part of the life of their life. It means making room in our heart to love the stranger, to love the unlovable, to be a part of the life of somebody who's struggling, to be a part of the life of somebody who is rejoicing, to just give of ourselves for a time. Because we realize that when we were strangers to God, he loved us and we should love those who are strangers to us. Part of our reasonable service is hospitality. The second thing I want us to see today is that God calls us to peace as part of our reasonable service. So the sons of Israel, this infant nation, have had a rough two days. They have left their home. Several days before the two days they arrived in Egypt, they were set apart thinking they were going to be arrested for theft. They, they made sure that everything was right in regard to the silver that was in their, in their bags of grain from their first trip there. They had a meal with this, this really important guy. They left the following morning only to be accused once again of theft and to find the evidence, incontrovertible evidence that Benjamin had stolen something from Joseph. And they went back. They had this this time of of just begging for the life of Jacob because they knew if they leave Benjamin behind, Jacob will die. And Joseph reveals himself to them. They have this great family reunion. Then they're overloaded with these gifts and they're sent on their way. Uh, Joseph gives extra gifts. He gives some clothing and he and in his sovereignty as the sovereign over the nation, uh, he gives Benjamin some extra gifts. We should remember that. When God blesses other people that we know and love, 
better than we think he blesses us, we should remember that God blesses in his sovereignty and according to his will. And that we should rejoice with those who rejoice as much as we mourn with those who mourn. But Joseph sends them on their way. And they are going to think on that trip home. We've got to explain to our father something that happened 22 years ago. We lied to him. We told him his son was dead. And now we have to admit to Jacob that we were wrong, that we lied, that we deceived him. And that even though it's joyous news, it's difficult news. What's your tendency when you're caught in a sin, especially in a sin with a group of people? Your tendency is to go, uh, you know what? Uh, Okay, I'm guilty, but he's more guilty. Oh, yeah, well, she's more guilty than I am. Well, no, no, he's the more guilty one. And and you just kind of swirl it around the group until you can figure out who's the most guilty party so that I don't feel quite as bad about the sin that I did. And Joseph was wise and he understood that. And he says, don't quarrel on the way. In our New Testament reading today, we looked at Philippians chapter two. Philippians was written by Paul to the church in Philippi, and it was written part of it to specifically address the fact that at least two women, if not more people, were at odds in the church. They were arguing. They were they were fighting. They were in the midst of this conflict and they were not a church of peace. And he says, here is what you need to remember Be humble. And if you want to know how humble to be, be as humble as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who dwelt in the presence of God, who dwelt in the throne room of God, who experienced the full glory and joy and love of being in the presence of God. And yet took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Not only did he dwell among us, he kept the law perfectly. Not only did he keep the law perfectly, he died for your sins. He died to take the punishment for you. He died so that you could be reconciled to God. And since you are reconciled to God, don't quarrel on the way. Our life is a journey. Our life is a walk. And when God calls us to be his sons and daughters, he doesn't just call me to be his son and you to be his son and you to be his daughter. He calls us to be sons and daughters. And he puts us in a family, the family of the church. When we take these church membership vows that we take, we are entering into a relationship that that reflects our relationship with God. And we are here together to walk on this journey from the wilderness to the promised land. And God says, don't quarrel on the way. Now, most of us in this church aren't getting into knockdown, drag out fights in the middle of the service. And thanks be to God for that. We're not even getting into knockdown, drag out fights in the in the 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 entry to the church or out in the parking lot. And once again, thanks be to God for that. But we find other ways to quarrel, do we not? Are there things that are in the order of service or maybe not in the order of service that you would rather they were there or not there? How do you react to that? Are there things that your brothers and sisters do that maybe get on your your nerves and annoy you and maybe cause conflict or anger in your life? 
Do you just go home and complain about it? Or do you address those things? Do you act like people who are called to peace, people who are reconciled to God and want to be reconciled to each other? Sometimes dealing with those things just means, you know what? It's not a big deal. I forgive it. I can move on and live my life. Other times they're bigger deals than that. And instead of going home and complaining, we we should we should strive to live in peace with one another. We should strive to be reconciled to one another. So God calls us to hospitality. God calls us to peace. And finally, God calls us to worship. So the brothers get home. They come to Jacob and they stick to the good news. Your son, Joseph, is alive. And he has found a place for us to live where we will no longer have to worry about food in the middle of a famine. And Jacob, bless his heart, he knows his sons well enough that he doesn't really trust them. Until he sees the gifts that Joseph had sent along, the carts and the donkeys and the silver and the clothing, and he rejoices. And we're told that Israel loads up the family and he takes off. And then Jacob gets to Beersheba. And it's interesting how in this passage and actually kind of throughout the account of Joseph and Jacob's life that the that the author of this account uses Israel and Jacob, the two names of Jacob in very specific ways. Whenever things are going good, whenever Jacob is a strong uh, leader of his family, whenever God is blessing them and they're moving forward in God's will, Jacob is called Israel. So Israel packed up his stuff and he headed for Egypt. But there's times of weakness and doubt in Jacob's life as well. And it's in those times that Jacob stops in Beersheba. Why would Jacob be worrying? Why would Jacob be doubtful? Well, he remembers his grandfather and his father. His grandfather took off for Egypt in the middle of a famine and God punished him. His father was going to go to Egypt during a difficult time and God met him and said face to face, do not go to Egypt. God has promised the family this land. And Jacob is, do I really leave? Should I go? And so when he gets to Beersheba, the southernmost part of the land, the exit points, the state line, if you will, he sets up the family altar and he worships. And it's in that worship that God comes to him and says, look, everything's okay. God meets Jacob in his weakness. God meets Jacob in his worry. And he says, I have this in hand. Go to Egypt. I will fulfill my promises to you there. I will make you a great land and then they will come back. And in fact, when you get there, you will die in peace. That's what it means when it says your son Joseph will close your eyes. You've had struggle. You've had difficulty. You've had turmoil. Follow me this one last time and you will die in peace. God meets Joseph as he calls him there to worship. So God calls us to hospitality. God calls us to peace. And God calls us to worship. We're left with these questions. What do we do with the resources that God has given to us? What do we do with our sense of compassion and love that God has given to us as we reach out to the stranger? We're also asked the question, what do we do within the people of God whenever things are not at peace? 
Do we pursue peace or do we continue to quarrel upon the way? And finally, how do we relate to God in the strengths and weaknesses of our lives? Do we seek him in worship? Or do we seek our own way? See, God has done the work to reconcile you and I to himself. And because of that, we are called to hospitality. We are called to peace and we are called to worship. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you so much for the work that you have done on our behalf. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us, that he did not think equality with God something to be held on to. But he emptied himself, took on flesh, the form of a servant and was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Would remind us that we are reconciled to you. Remind us that we are called to love the stranger. Remind us that within the people of God, we are called to pursue peace. And remind us that we are to live lives of worship. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.